Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. This time of year, the days between Thanksgiving and Christmas, my thoughts often turn to food. My Swedish grandmother was a very good cook and her tables were often filled with Swedish food that she learned to cook on a wooden stove from her Swedish mother, my great-grandmother. She served Swedish meatballs, potato sausage, rice pudding, limpa bread, and lingonberries. Granny Anderson wasn't fond of spicy foods, in fact, The story goes that she would purchase one onion a month and it would last her the whole month. We loved her cooking, but we would kid her saying that she cooked with just two spices, salt and pepper. As a child growing up, my family celebrated just two Christian holidays, Christmas and Easter. And I have such fond memories of their celebration. Christmas pageants, Christmas trees, Easter sunrise services, Easter egg hunts. And as a Christian family, we celebrated the birth of Christ and his glorious resurrection with great joy and thanksgiving. So my fondness for Advent, the first season of the liturgical calendar, the season that begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, the season where the colors of our service change from green to purple, this fondness for Advent came much later in my life. So what is Advent? In this season, when our thoughts naturally turn to the birth of Christ, Mary, Joseph, the mangers, shepherds, and angelic hosts singing glory to God in the highest, why does our liturgy and our scripture readings insist that we begin the season giving attention to the second coming of Christ? This morning, I would like to meditate on the connection between Christmas and the second coming and why they are linked as we begin this Advent season. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Heavenly Father, whose only begotten Son took on flesh and dwelt among us, As we celebrate his first coming in the weeks ahead, send forth your Holy Spirit to prepare us for his second coming. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Our reading this morning from the first epistle to the Thessalonians sets the stage for our Advent reflection. Paul, on his second missionary journey, crosses continents from Asia Minor, or present-day Turkey, into Macedonia, which would be present-day northern Greece. 
he travels to the town of Thessalonica. It's his second major stop on this missionary journey. Paul preaches there not only in word, but as he puts it in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And a baby church emerges composed mostly of Gentiles who have left many of the religious cults that were active in the city. For some unknown reason, Paul leaves Thessalonica abruptly to continue his missionary journey south to Athens and Corinth with the intention of returning someday. A few years later, when Paul realizes that he's not getting back to Thessalonica, he sends Luke to visit the church to strengthen and encourage it and bring back news to Paul as to how the church is doing. First Thessalonians is the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica after Luke returned with a good report. Paul is overjoyed to hear that the church in Thessalonica has become an example to Christians throughout the region, how they receive the good news with joy and turn from the worship of idols to the worship of the living and true God and of his son, Jesus Christ, despite facing much persecution and hardship. Yet even after Paul hears Luke's good report, he still longs to see them in person. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, he tells them of his wanting to see them face to face. A phrase which is a common Greek idiom, but it also translates well into English. In the reading this morning, Paul uses the same phrase, face to face, a second time, which prompts him to pray the verses in 11 through 13. May our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. As I was preparing this morning, this phrase, face to face, caught my attention. And the more I thought and meditated and prayed about the sermon, the more this phrase seemed to gather together all the readings in a way that helped me to better understand the meaning of Advent. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul uses the phrase face to face in the sense of longing, of wanting or desiring to see somebody face to face. This implies that there's some barrier to personal interaction. In Paul's case, it was a physical distance that kept him from seeing his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica. Longing to see someone face to face assumes personal affection, friendship, or even a deep love. We want to be face to face with those we really care about. Just ask those in the military who are deployed overseas, especially during these holidays. Ask university students here in Madison who are far from their families and can't return home for the holidays when they're reunited again with their loved ones face to face, comes with tears of joy. 
And it's for this reason, I expect, that the human face features so prominently in our basic human rituals. When we lose a loved one, the closing of the casket can be so difficult because we continue to love a person that we can no longer see. Our blessed hope as Christians is that the separation is not permanent. Or consider marriage rituals, such as a traditional, and I'm talking a very traditional, Christian wedding ceremony. If the bride chooses to be veiled, her unveiling at the altar beside the groom points us symbolically to Genesis chapter 2, when Adam is aroused from his slumber and sees Eve for the first time. And this is where the bride and the groom see each other face to face. And how many of us have longed to see the face of a baby before it's born? Although modern medicine can tell us the sex of the child in utero, or even provide a three-dimensional sonogram, no technology will ever capture the experience of seeing the child face to face the first time. And this brings us to the season before Christmas, the waiting, the longing, and the hoping for the coming of the Messiah. This is one sense of Advent. The word itself means before the coming. The whole of the Old Testament is an Advent of the Messiah which was promised to come. And in the fullness of time, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds beheld the baby Jesus in the manger, and their Advent season was over. The Messiah they saw was the very face of God. And this experience is captured in Luke 2 when Simeon and Anna hold the baby Jesus in their hands, and Simeon sings, My eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared for all the face of all people. But there's another side of meeting face to face. When I was a child, I wasn't always on my best behavior. And my mom and dad would have to get my attention in a very direct way. We needed what you would call a face to face. They would sometimes wrap their fingers around my mouth in a firm but gentle way to get my attention. I suppose if I had a picture from back on these occasions, I would have chicken lips, and my eyes would be rolled to the side in a last desperate act of defiance when being told, do not run into the street, Kent. Hold my hand, and all the other instructions I needed as a small boy. Sometimes face-to-face -face means accountability. Managers who have face-to-face, -face, managers can have face-to-face -face with underperforming employees and teachers with students who are falling behind. Psalm 50 points to having a face-to-face -face with God when it says, our God shall come and not keep silence. Seeing God's face, as recorded in the Old Testament, is often associated with overwhelming glory. 
in the presence of God Almighty, we human beings are like the dew of the grass as the bright summer sun arises. In Exodus 33:20, the Lord warns Moses that Moses cannot see God's face and live. Or the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verse 2 says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? The reading from Zechariah this morning, too, is an ap ap apocalyptic vision of God having a face-to-face -face with the world he created. The day of the Lord comes, and God establishes his dominion on earth, and this is portrayed by God setting his feet on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem and splitting it in two. People run as if they were in a terrible earthquake. And before a new age breaks, Zechariah writes, then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. And God will establish his dominion over time, over all earth, with the end that the Lord will be king. So why do we pair Zechariah 14 and 1 Thessalonians 3 on this first Sunday in Advent? What makes these readings so appropriate is that Paul, in 1 Thessalonians, links the day of the Lord in the Old Testament with the second coming of Christ as promised by our Lord in the New Testament. Compare 1 Thessalonians 3.13, where Paul writes about our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints, with Zechariah 14.6, then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. Biblical scholars note that these two phrases are almost identical in the Greek of 1 Thessalonians and the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Zechariah, which Paul was most certainly using. Paul was using the passage from Zechariah to explain the coming of Christ. And here, Paul is making a very important Christological claim. The future coming of Yahweh is now to be understood as the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians who have met the risen Lord in glory, in joy, and in faith would see him face to face at his second coming. Why is this important? We, like those in the Old Testament, who were waiting for the Messiah, are living in an Advent season too. We are living in a time prior to the second coming of Christ. But now that Jesus Christ has come the first time, our understanding of the second coming has been completely transformed. The God incarnate who walked with us, died for us, reconciles us to God the Father, Jesus Christ will return for us. Although this judgment still includes judgment and although this is coming still includes judgment and accountability, as we say in the creeds, for those who follow him, his return is an occasion for great joy.
Listen to the comforting words that Jesus speaks to his disciples after telling them that he would be returning to his father. This comes from John chapter 14, verses one through three. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In your father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. It's for this reason that the church in Thessalonica, the Christian brothers and sisters whom Paul called beloved by God, looked forward to the second coming of Christ. This is when they would get their opportunity to see Christ face to face for the first time. They were not afraid to, uh, to stand before God because Paul had preached to them the good news about Jesus Christ, about his death, his resurrection, how his resurrection, how he defeated the power of sin and death for all those who put his trust for all those who put their trust in him. As Paul would later write in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Their faith was energized to such an extent that some of the church in Thessalonica sold their houses or left their jobs to wait for Jesus' immediate return. Paul had to remind them that the hour when Christ would return was uncertain. What was certain, though, is that he was going to come again with all of his saints. So if they shouldn't sell their houses and leave their jobs to wait for the second coming of Christ, what should they do? And in the reading this morning, Paul instructs them, work on loving each other and your community. As he puts it in verse 13, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Second, work on holiness. Put away those activities which turn us away from God or take the place of God. The reason why we begin Advent with the readings about the second coming is that we Christians cannot think about the first coming of Christ without also bringing to mind the second coming of Christ. And as Christians who worship in the Anglican tradition, we are reminded of the central truth every time we have communion. In Holy Communion, Jesus Christ is really present with us, and the liturgy spans the theological breadth of just what this means. The prayer at the very beginning of communion says, when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In the middle of this prayer, we all affirm the second coming of Christ when we proclaim together the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. 
And we conclude the prayer with, in the fullness of time, put all things under the subjection of your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. When farmers plant their crops, they cannot help but think of the harvest to come. Those who lived when Jesus walked this earth knew that the fig tree, that when the fig tree started to flower, the summer and harvest was coming. They knew how to discern the times. Likewise, when Christians think about the birth of Jesus' birth in the manger, they cannot help but think of the importance of preparing for his second coming. We need to discern the times too. Some of my friends look forward to this time as a holiday season to spend time with their friends and family. And on one level, I look forward to being with my family too. Some of my Christian friends add to this celebration of Christmas. They open presents around the Christmas tree as a, well, as a way of celebrating the birthday of Christ. I too share this because it is through Jesus Christ and his birth that we can gather and celebrate as Christian family and open presents together. My Christian friends who celebrate Advent pair the nativity with the second coming of Christ. We cannot talk about his first coming without bringing to mind his second coming. It is his second coming which provides the context for his first. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's incredible that God took on flesh and dwelled among us. It's even more wonderful to think that he is preparing a home for us. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and the disciples saw God face to face when they looked into the eyes of Jesus. We will have our opportunity to see God face to face when Jesus comes again.